So I'm joined today by Professor Austin Duffy, who is a medical oncologist, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let Austin talk to us a little bit about his experience and where he works and where he trained and and why why pancreatic cancer. And then I'm also joined by Anna Shevlin, who is the project manager in Cancer Trials Ireland and is working on our pancreatic cancer portfolio. So for those that are listening who maybe don't know a lot about pancreatic cancer, like what is it and and why is it so deadly? Why is it different to other cancers? You know, people get breast cancer now and survive and maybe live a long time, whereas pancreatic has a different outcome. Yeah, it does have a bit of a bad reputation, doesn't it? And uh, unfortunately, it it is a little bit warranted, I have to admit. Um, Well, first of all, let's talk about what, uh, you know, what the pancreas is, um, which is where where it all starts. The The pancreas is a gland that we all have and we all need. And it's a relatively small organ that sits at the back of your abdomen. Uh, near enough to the stomach, you know, and um, it basically has two main jobs. Um, one is to secrete insulin so and regulate uh, your um, sugar levels. And then the other main job it has is, is actually to be involved with food digestion. So we all have pancreases and we all really need them. We can't really live without them. And yeah, unfortunately, just like any other of the major organs, you know, all it takes is a, is one bad cell, you know, to transform and, and become a a cancer cell, which is basically a cell that starts growing and in an inappropriate way and uh, forms a a tumor. The um, reputation that pancreas cancer has is, is unfortunately deserved. Um, It is amongst, you know, amongst people like me, you know, uh, uh, doctors and oncologists it has the reputation of being a tough cancer one that can be resistant to treatment sometimes or even commonly and can recur even after it is removed uh, by surgery and that's really surgical resection is really your 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 best chance of getting rid of rid of the cancer but unfortunately what we find is that the for the vast majority of patients they uh, by the time they come to medical attention, their disease has already spread beyond the pancreas and it can't be operated mm-hmm. on. And, and and is there a way, you know, I'm sure there's people listening to this who maybe have some experience personally or, or family. Is What are the signs? Like, are there signs that you should look out for with pancreatic cancer? Yeah, so this is a, an interesting point because, you know, people often say that, well, oh, the reason pancreatic cancer, you know, uh, behaves so badly and, and does so badly is because patients present very late with the cancer. But, you know, I don't really think that's accurate or true because most of the pancreatic cancer that occurs, you know, actually presents uh, relatively early on uh, because it, it, there's a, it, it, it presents with what's called jaundice where the tumor actually blocks one of your main bile ducts coming out of the liver. And as a result of this blockage, you know, your skin can go yellow, which is basically what jaundice is, or your or the whites of your eyes. And, you know, that can happen, you know, pretty early on uh, in, in, in some patients. Yeah, there are some patients with pancreatic cancer where their tumor arises from the other end of the pancreas and uh, they can be they can present a little bit later on uh, for sure 
And we know actually that those folks, unfortunately, do slightly worse or seem to do slightly worse. But, you know, in actual fact, it's not just a function of patients presenting late and therefore doing, doing badly as a result. It actually, it's that, that sort of uh, idea, which has been around uh, a while, I think is a little bit overly simplistic and wrong, actually. In truth, there's something about the actual, what, what we would call the biology of pancreatic cancer that just makes it uh, behave in this way, you know, that is um, uh, not amenable or, or maybe more likely to develop uh, resistance to some of the drugs we have or have, make it have a propensity to spread, for example. You know, so when you look under, under a microscope at a pancreatic tumor, one of the things that strikes you actually is that the actual cancer cells themselves are kind of spread out a little bit and they're actually embedded in kind of this almost like scar tissue matrix you know and this environment is you know not it doesn't have very good blood supply the immune cells aren't really getting in there it's quite what we call hypoxic or lacking in oxygen you know so there it's it's kind of it's kind of hostile terrain you know and and you know, for the and and yet these these pancreatic cancer cells are able to thrive in it. So the factors related to how how folks do, you know, seem to be driven more by those sort of considerations. You know, the underlying actual biology of the tumor itself as it develops, rather than you know simply saying, oh well, you know, if only you had it presented earlier, it would have been a different story, you know. And I think that's important for people to hear, you know, that, you know, you often think, God, could I have done something in advance or is there a screening or, you know, it's not, pancreatic is very different. And I suppose that leads to the next, you know, why do we not have more trials? And that was the question that Pat had. And, you know, we all know the story of Brian Lenehan as well. And, and you know, our, our ex-minister for finance in Ireland, who also had a very, you know, we, we understood it because he was so public and he lived with pancreatic cancer. And some of his friends have also contributed to some of the trials we're going to talk about today. Why is it is is that why there's so few options from a research point of view within this space? Like even where we are now, we're we're not finding a cure yet. Right, that's true. Um, but mind you, there's lots of things in medicine that we don't cure. Yeah. Um, you know, and yet there are still plenty of treatment options. You know, even non-cancer things like blood pressure or, or you know diabetes. I mean, we're not yeah, curing these things right. either, but yeah. but allowing people to to live with them for for uh, normal lifespans. But yes, I, I, I definitely uh, take your point and, and you're 100% right. Why do we not have more uh, treatment options? I guess there isn't one simple answer. There's uh, several factors that would probably explain that. The first is the, um, how common it is. You know, So you know, if you compare pancreatic cancer to something like breast cancer or colorectal cancer, you know, it's just a, a, a sort of a log scale less common. And, you know, so therefore, you know, commensurate with that, you don't have the same level of uh, patient advocacy and um, frequency and uh, of collaborations and, and clinical trials, the uh, activity that, that, that goes along with a common cancer such as breast cancer, or colorectal cancer. Uh, but that doesn't fully explain it either. You know, 
I think, yeah, part of it is that it's it's been a tough cancer historically and traditionally, and the um, therefore you know you wouldn't might might not have had as many Eileen O'Reilly's you know uh, for example as other, as other disease types uh, would have. And then there's sort of a, another level of difficulty related to the science itself. You know, what often propels science forward and gives it a bit of forward momentum is, you know, a, a, a sense of discovery and new uh, advances in the science and um, progression and, you know, just, just a feeling that progress is being made. And I think in general, it is fair to say that when you when you compare pancreatic cancer to the likes of uh, certainly breast cancer or lung cancer, for example, you know it's really lagged behind. And one of the main reasons for this is quite simple: it's actually hard to get uh, um, tumor tissue from patients with pancreatic cancer. And why why is that, Austin? What does that mean to someone now? who has pancreatic cancer, why is it harder? Yeah, well, it relates to, there's a couple of reasons. One is location, you know, so it can be, it can be hard to access uh, the pancreas, but that doesn't fully explain it because a lot of pancreatic cancer, unfortunately, involves the liver and, and it's relatively straightforward to do liver biopsies. It actually comes down to a point I mentioned a few minutes ago where, you know, when you look under the microscope of uh, pancreatic uh, cancer, you know, you get, you can identify it's, it's a very sparse, hostile environment where you actually get few enough uh, cells. And very often, you know, you do a biopsy on a patient and, and you think, oh, well, that's, that's a very good size biopsy, for example. But then the pathologist tells you, well, they only got a tiny little piece of the cancer, you know, and, and you can't do you know, the additional, you can only do the basic test. You can't do any additional tests that you might want to do. So it's like a needle in a haystack right. nearly to find the, yeah, yeah so, okay, so, the cancer cell. Yeah, yeah, so just on a technical level, it's been difficult to progress uh, the field. And this is actually, I know we'll we'll talk about the some of the research that we're hoping to do yeah. um, as part of um, the... Uh, our, do you want to start on that? Do you want to talk about patch? Because I know this patch trial, you know, I know you're, you're going to look at the biology you know, as part of the one of the components of that trial, aren't you? Right, exactly. And this mm. is this is something we're very excited about and and um, doable. Thanks totally to the uh, Pat Smullen Fund. So basically, um, um, the patch study is a study that we're hoping to open in a in a few months uh, once we get all our uh, regulatory approval and so forth. And um, it's really a very interesting story that from, from my point of view, uh, dates back about two years ago when I was looking after a patient who I was very fond of who had a very advanced pancreatic uh, cancer uh, here in Ireland. And, you know, I treated her with chemotherapy initially. She did quite well, actually had a nice enough response. I should say, by the way, when she presented originally, her she had a lot of disease in her liver, unfortunately, but it was, it was a pancreatic cancer that had spread to the liver. But she did well with chemotherapy initially, but as, as so often happens, you know, that didn't last for a huge amount of time. And she basically, um, you know, we, we went, we had to change the chemotherapy and that maybe worked for a while, but 
you know, coming up to Christmas time, we were in real trouble, you know, and I could see that in her blood tests. And um, there was around about that time or shortly before that time, there was a a paper that came out in uh, the journal Nature, which is, you know, one of the main science uh, It's the big, big paper, yeah. Yeah. And this uh, was a very good paper, which looked at uh, using two drugs that we would not normally use in uh, pancreatic cancer. One of them was a drug called trametinib, which is a cancer drug, but you'd never in a million years use it in pancreatic cancer. And then the other drug was a drug we've all heard of recently um, called hydroxychloroquine. Yes. <laughs> which, again, you would never in a million years use in pancreatic cancer. And these investigators, uh, they, they did a very nice paper where they really got deep into the science and worked out in the laboratory why this combination of drugs uh, should work. And then, really excitingly, they uh, tested it on a patient and uh, who was similar to my patient in that he had gone through various lines of chemotherapy and then uh, tried this uh, combination of drugs and had a great response to treatment. And um, around this time, I spoke to my former boss, the NCI actually, and we discussed this paper and he told me anecdotally that he had also seen that paper and treated a patient um, with the same combination and also had a very nice result. So I give this, um, you know, I printed out the paper, discussed it with my patient, and because these drugs are available, um, I prescribed them. And, uh, you know, she did get a nice response. Her blood results nor uh, got became normal. And, you know, she was able to get through Christmas and the new year. Um, and it, and uh, made a, a family reunion, and, and it was very meaningful. Now, unfortunately, and this is the real kicker, um, unfortunately, the response didn't last very long. You know, it was only a couple of months, and um, and that was also the case um, of the other cases I saw. So, you know, there's something about this combination that does work, but. Clearly, it's not a cure, to use your term, Evelyn, mm -hmm. and it's, it's not given us the durable, long-term benefit that we really, really want, you know, and that patients are really, really, I mean, it's, it's, it's good and, and can be very meaningful to get these short-term responses, but we really, we really want to do better than that. And this is what the PATCH study is going to be looking at, you know. Um, in the PATCH study, we're going to be giving patients with pancreatic cancer, patients like PATCH, you know, are my patient that I just mentioned. We're going to be pe people who've had chemo had chemotherapy, but the chemotherapy stopped working. And we're going to give them the combination of these drugs. But, you know, we're going to try and go a step further because we need to do better. So we're actually going to take biopsies, if we can, if it's easy and safe and, and not too difficult. We're going to try and take biopsies from patients before and then about a month into treatment. And we're going to take those samples out to UCD and we're going to actually study them by generating what are called organoids, you know, and that's a bit of jargon. This is fascinating stuff now. This is like, and I and just to say from the patient point of view, it's totally the, the patient's, per, you know, decision whether they want to give biopsies or not for this study. Absolutely. But when you started talking to me, Austin, about the organoids, that's amazing. 
that is developing like almost like a 3D model, isn't it? Of, of exactly. what the tumor looks like. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's basically a model, you know, obviously. So we're, we, when you when you give drugs to a patient, I mean, the only sort of readout you have of whether the, what's happening is basically when you do the CAT scan, you know, um, eight weeks later or whatever it is, and you see if the tu- you see if the tumors shrunk or or not, and um, but you've no understanding of what's actually happening in the tumor itself, you know. Yeah. And of course, you know, you can't be biopsying the tumor. You know, you can't be biopsying the the, the tumor every day or every week or whatever. You know, you'd that would just be impossible and and bad medicine. <laughs> so really, in order to fully understand what is exactly happening, and here we're trying to understand why the drugs are not working anymore, you know? Why is resistance developing? Why are the patients getting these good responses that got my patient through Christmas and New Year and her family reunion, but no further, no further than that? Why is that? What's happening? And in order to do that, you need a model, you know, and that's basically what an organoid is. It's a relatively new technology or a relatively recent technology, which is basically where we can actually, uh, it's almost like we can create, recreate the patient's own tumor in a lab, you know, and in a, in a way that seems to replicate the, the real situation, what's happening in the human quite well. So that means that we can we can actually not only treat the patient, but we can treat their organoid that that is grow their tumor that we're growing out in UCD, and we can actually treat that with the same combination. But the brilliant thing is, we can make a hundred organoids or five hundred organoids, and we can do different. We can test to see, you know, should we do a higher dose? Should we add in a different drug? What what is happening, you know, at the level of the signaling? pathway within the cancer cell that might explain the resistance that's developing. And the hope is that we will learn from this and be able to then maybe tweak the regimen and would it would have a second iteration of the study. So now we're, go- we're going to talk to Anna Shevlin. Um, and Anna, you are working as a project manager in Cancer Trials Ireland. Uh, and your work is quite it's very detailed and very scientific, isn't it? You know, you're, we're in a highly regulated environment here in, in, as a sponsor, aren't we? Yeah, we're really here to support the investigator, you know, bringing this idea forward and bringing it to patients. So we have to do everything to the highest standard, to good clinical practice, get their ethics approval, our regulatory approval. And the Cancer Trials Ireland office is a is a large office with many departments. So we have a safety department to support the, the investigator, data management to collect the data and monitors and um, project managers like myself to set up the trial and monitor the trial to make sure everything's working. So we're here to support the investigators and the, their nurses and their data managers at the sites to bring these studies to patients. So the investigators are mostly the, the cancer doctors, aren't they? And and others out there in, in all the hospitals in Ireland would you work with or like how many hospitals are you working with on the pancreatic studies? So um, the one study we'll talk about next is maybe the paracastol study. So this study is open across six sites in Ireland. So we have three Dublin sites and it's also opened in Cork, Limerick and Waterford. And what is that, Anna, with the paracalcitol? What's that study about? So this is a study for patients with advanced pancreatic cancer. So I say advanced, I mean metastatic, meaning it has spread 
So standardly, these patients would um, be offered standard chemotherapy, drugs like gemcitabine and nabpaxitaxel. So this study, paracalcitol, is actually adding to standard treatment. So the patients will receive a new drug, paracalcitol. It is licensed in other indications, but it's not being licensed within cancer. It's actually um, a form of vitamin D. And we're adding that to the chemo to see if, you know, this with standard chemo can really help the response uh, the patients see in their pancreatic cancer. So, so we're right, we're right in the thick of it now, aren't we? Like this trial, so there's already 15, isn't there, patients on it? Um, so it, it, I suppose there's a bit of a, a, a mystique for a non-clinical trials person. You know, you can't really talk about the results until the end. Sure you can't. No, absolutely not. And so this um, study has a, a two phase design or two stage design. So what we do is we, we look at first um, how the first um, stage patients do. So we put 15 patients onto this study already and then we'll um, monitor those patients um, to to complete their treatment and you know their regular CTs and based on how they do we'll follow on to the the next stage of the study if these patients do well. Um, this study was set up um, and opened during the COVID-19 pandemic. We opened this study um, October last year across the six sites in Ireland and those 15 patients on, were put on during the ongoing pandemic. You know the, the patient care is still the priority for us and for their obviously for their doctors isn't that like some achievement you know for for everyone involved the patients the doctors because it was a real it's a risky time to be in hospital during the height of the pandemic and and you know we we our organization and our doctors pushed ahead and i didn't know when they could yeah absolutely and the one really thing i really want to talk about is the fact that this study had been blocked because of funding yeah. without the support of um, there's three funders for this study but without the support of um, uh, the pancreatic cancer fund that Pat Smullen set up we wouldn't have been able to open this study and you know when that funding got into place we put our ducks in a row, we got our ethics our reg submission, we opened the study and you know we delivered, patients wanted to go on the trial and um, now what we really want to do now is wait for that interim analysis result to see how these patients are doing and see now you know are we proceeding to stage 2 or are we going to move to perhaps a different study option? Really could not have done it without the fund. No, and, and Brian Lenehan's um, friends as well contributed a little to, the, to this, uh, to the startup of this study as well. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Because like the study that uh, patch trial that Austin is running, it, that was Austin's idea and he's framing the study, he came up with it and he's basing it on a study that happened in the US. But this study came from one of our own investigators as well, one of our own doctors, um, Professor Brian Hennessy, wasn't it? Yeah, Brian Hennessy is based in Beaumont Hospital. So I, just a, a little bit of background, I suppose, how it works and, and yeah. the, the work that's been done. So basically, the body reacts to pancreatic cancer by surrounding um, the cancer cells with kind of thick scar tissue. And that scar tissue kind of blocks the chemotherapy getting into the pancreatic cell, meaning the chemotherapy is less effective as we would like. And we feel that adding this um, vitamin D analogue can shrink that car scar tissue and improve the uptake of chemotherapy within the pancreatic cells. That means pa patients will, will be able to get more access, more chemo, and that, that we feel that will be um, more, uh, result in a better response for these patients. So that comes from work done with um, Brian and other colleagues in the lab, and we're really bringing that forward now to patients. So the next, there's another, we're, we're calling it studies, right? So just for anyone that's listening, we're, that's kind of habit, but when we say study, we're, we're talking about a trial. Um, and the 
next one, um, Anna, that you're very involved in is feed. Do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, this is actually a very different um, a study. But um, I actually just go back to a sentence um, Austin said earlier. He said, you know, surgery is the best chance for these patients. And I know we've talked about the PAT study and paracalstol study, which is kind of in the advanced setting when patient when the, the patient's cancer has already spread. This study is actually for newly diagnosed pancreatic cancer patients. And for these patients, they'd Stanley receive chemotherapy before their surgery and then they go on to have surgery. So we call that neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And so these patients, unfortunately, pancreatic cancer, it's associated with, you know, weight, muscle loss. We call that cachexia. And, you know, that weight loss and muscle loss really, really negatively impacts in the patient's ability to tolerate chemo, you know, and their ability to be able to have surgery it's really negatively impacting the patient's quality of life and, and their overall prognosis. So um, somebody described this study to me is like, we're basically offering these patients a personal training <laughs> yeah. to get them ready for the chemo, help them through it and get them ready for surgery. So presently, if you were um, a patient, um, a newly diagnosed patient who was having their neoadjuvant treatment and going on for surgery, you'd get, you know, nutritional supplements, you'd get dietary advice, advice around exercise, and there'd maybe be one follow-up visit with you to see how you're getting on. We really think patients need more than that. We want to step that up. So patients who go on this study will get the support of a dietitian, a physiotherapy with regular follow-up. And, you know, we feel that Patients might better adhere to the exercise program, the nutritional regime, and it will really positively impact their ability to have chemotherapy and surgery. You know, chemotherapy is quite toxic. If these patients are unwell, they maybe can't receive the optimal dose of chemo. So, you know, if we can keep them, you know, strong and healthy during their chemo, you know, get it, get them through it and get them to surgery, which is the which is the goal for, for these patients. Great. And who who's running that particular study? So we're we're funding it through the Pat Smolin Award, and and this was one of the studies that applied for our. You know, we had a call. So what we call in research a call. So we we asked for ideas from our investigators, and this was one of the winning ideas along with with Austin's. Um, so it's it's coming UCD, isn't it? It's running through UCD. Yeah. So this. This study has been led by um, Professor Ray McDermott in Vincent's with his colleague Una Griffin, who is um, a dietitian and who has actually led a pilot study. She has already done um, a sample study of this study with 20 patients. And now we're going to progress it and upgrade it now to 70 patients to really show that this this proposal does work. And if we can show that, you know, we can roll this. It's the... It's the information that, you know, the hospital and the medical community need to really roll this out going forward to all, all future pancreatic patients. This is what would really help them, yeah. you know, through their chemo and bringing them to surgery. You hear things like practice change in Anna. So this is this potentially could yeah, be. Yeah, that's a really good way of describing okay, very it. Very good. Yeah. And has there been other precedents of that? Like, have you have you we've been involved in studies like this in other forms of cancer, haven't we? Absolutely. Unfortunately, um, you know, the cachexia, that weight loss and muscle loss, it's not limited to pancreatic cancer. This is seen in lots of cancer types. You know, I work in GI gastro studies and yes, it's very, very common. So essentially, patients are just too unwell to tolerate the chemo and they can't get that dose that they need and they just may be too unwell for their surgery to, to you know and that surgery is so important because it's removing their cancer so if you look at 
cancertrials.gov, that's the registry of all international clinical trials that are ongoing. There are over 1,500 studies in nutrition and cancer. You know, that shows you this is a real area of interest. Patients could really benefit from that additional dietitian, additional physio support to really help them with their cancer, help them through their cancer and get them to surgery. Yeah. And it shows it's not all about it's not all about drugs. And I think, you know, this is a really good example of that. And our own patient consultants committee in Cancer Trials Ireland have flagged this with us as well. The need to do more of these kinds of studies, because that's the experience of people with cancer. Um, so is is that's what they need uh, in the system. So that's great. It's very exciting, Anna. Do you, do you enjoy working on these trials? I'm sure this is a very unique portfolio, isn't it? Absolutely. And, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there's more funding happening, um, more funding um, initiatives happening. You know, we're even always talking to our investigators about lining up the next study. So that is just so exciting for me that, you know, we have Paracalstall opening and we've two more being rolled out and we're already talking about the next. We don't want gaps for these patients yeah. in the future. So, and Anna, it's busy. It's been a tough time, hasn't it, with, with COVID and and uh, trying to organise trials. You've done a phenomenal job. I know we have um, in getting a lot of this work over the line during a tough time, as has, has the investigators. What do you do in your downtime to, to keep keep a balance, Anna? I'm out in my kayak. I've already mentioned that. I'm like in an advertisement for it now. I have a very active, um, almost three-year-old who keeps me very busy, Evelyn. Oh, very good. We're currently very doing good. a little walking challenge for charity at the moment. <laughs> so myself and Connor to be out on walks in the evening to, yeah. to clock up our kilometres. And I, I think we're, we're calling over to Granny now this afternoon to do a practice trick-or-treat on our walk. Isn't that wonderful? Already learning to do some uh, good for the local community. That's the esophageal cancer walk isn't it that you're you're doing which is the other studies you work on yeah absolutely it's just great yeah. motivation in um to get out for walks yeah. and keep, keep active. active as well well anna thank you so much um for for that whistle stop tour of of the trials you're working in and and it was great to hear from austin earlier the other things that that we have within this portfolio is the next generation sequence machine we donated a hundred thousand to st vincent's university hospital um, in 2020 and it's now in situ in the hospital and it will mean that we're going to be able to sequence pancreatic cancer tumours. So it goes back to what Austin and Anna were talking about earlier, but the biology of what's in your tumour and being able to look at that and open up the possibility of specific treatments for patients. So we're actually, that's going to be the next phase of our of our fund is looking at how we make that really accessible to everyone with pancreatic cancer in Ireland, but not just those in Vincent's Hospital. So that's something we're, we're looking at. And we're also looking at funding to be used in a radiotherapy study. So we've heard about, you know, a drug trial and we've heard about a nutritional surgery trial. Now, the radiotherapy study is happening as well for patients with pancreatic cancer that can be treated with surgery. And this study is currently in development through with the St. Luke's radio oncology team. So that's that's a really whistle-stop tour of what we're doing in Cancer Trials Ireland. We hope that this gives everyone an understanding of all your efforts, all of you out there who helped raise money for us, for the pancreatic portfolio. Um, I'm thinking of of Gavin Lynch and and, and, uh, Ray Fenton, whose wife Deidre sadly passed away, who also walked from Malin to Mizzen for us. For Francis Mullen and Francis Crowley um, and Hannah Paddy, and Sarah Smullen, who did so much for us with Horse Race in Ireland um, in memory of Pat Smullen. 
um, and, and all the others that have contributed to what we do. Thank you so much. I hope we've given you an, a, a good idea and summary of where the money is going. And we will continue our communication with you podcasts and through other channels. So thank you very much. The Cancer Trials Ireland podcast is funded through the Just Ask campaign 2021. Every year, Cancer Trials Ireland raises awareness of clinical trials in Ireland through the Just Ask campaigns. See cancertrials.ie for more.